Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out and turn to Philippians chapter one and verse number one. Philippians chapter one. I'm excited about our series that we're gonna be sharing with you over these next several weeks. Uh, Philippians is just an incredible book. There is so much awesome stuff to to mine out of it, so don't miss one week as we come together. I, I read a story in Max Lucado's book, The Eye of the Storm. He's a wonderful writer and uh, written many good books. Good books, and he has a story on page 11 in the eye of the storm about Chippy the parakeet. Chippy the parakeet was in the house. He always sang a lot, was just a beautiful little sweet bird, and, uh, and peacefully on his perch just singing away. And it was time to clean the cage, and so the owner... Uh, thought she would clean the cage, and so she took a vacuum cleaner and took the top of the the wand off and and stuck it in the cage in order to clean out the bottom of Chippy the parakeet's cage. And the phone rang, and she had turned the vacuum cleaner on, and she went and answered the phone and said, hello, and about that time, Chippy went right through the vacuum cleaner. And uh, she panicked, and what do I do? And so she went and she opened up the bottom, bottom of the vacuum cleaner, and the, uh, the parakeet was still in there, and fortunately he was still alive. And so she takes Chippy out, and he's covered now with soot and dirt and all that other stuff by being in the vacuum cleaner bag. So she immediately runs to the sink and turns on the cold water and uh, starts to watch Chippy off. And then she sets Chippy on the counter and realizes Chippy is sitting there shivering and shaking and cold and freezing, And so she gets the hot air dryer and she starts to blow Chippy off (laughs) and dry Chippy off because Chippy by this time is very cold. So he has been sucked in, washed up, and blown over. And, and the reporter who initially found out about this story about Chippy, the true story, went back and uh, interviewed the lady again. And one of the questions he was was, how is Chippy doing right now? And, uh, and, and she replied with this, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? That life has sucked you up? Life has uh, blown you over, uh, soaked you down. Life has just totally messed you up. It happens to every single one of us. One, one moment we're in the middle of familiar territory and we're happy and we got our joy and we're singing our songs and everything's going fine and suddenly out of nowhere the pink slip comes. You find out you're going to be let go. They're, they're downsizing they're, Something else happens. Or everything may be going great and you hear the doctor's report and it's not good news. It's not what you had been hoping for. Or, or maybe you're in the middle of the night and your teenagers have been out and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's a policeman on the other end of the line and just say, I want to share about this little accident that took place or transpired or happened. And suddenly, out of nowhere, you're sucked into that black cavern of doubt. You are doused with the cold water of reality, and you are blasted with the hot winds of trials and tests and tribulation that comes our way. And it happens to every single one of us. And somewhere along the line, if we are not careful, we lose our song of joy. The joy seeps out. The joy goes out. And we don't feel that joy anymore. 
Any believer who's feeling down and discouraged and hurting and broken needs look no further than the life of the Apostle Paul as seen in the book of the Philippians. He is an amazing writer, and he, has, he goes through more trial and more tests. You talk about Chippy. He has been shipwrecked. He has been beaten. Uh, he has been left for dead. He has been uh, uh, put on trial. He has been flogged. Uh, he has been jailed and put in prison. And yet he writes the Philippian church, and he will talk more about joy than any other writer in the New Testament. 16 times he will say joy or rejoice in the book. And so we're going to look at this book. We're going to see what it's all about. And we're going to learn how that we can have joy, how we can even sing in the midst of the rain. So let's stand together as we look at Philippians chapter 1 this morning. He will say rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say it rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He also writes to a church at Philippi, and they are about to go through tests and trials and struggles like are unimaginable, and yet he would write to them about the joy of the Lord. Even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of your tests, you can have joy. In fact, we learn from Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and they would need strength to make it through those trials and tests. So let's begin to unpackage this incredible book this morning. Philippians 1 and verse number 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, all of you since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word today. Open it up to our hearts and lives. May we get a sense, God, for what you're trying to do in us. May we remember what you've done in our lives. May for those who are down and depressed and discouraged, I pray that today you would renew their joy, that the joy of the Lord would become their strength once again. And we love you, God, and return that song to our heart, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look marvelous, and then you may be seated. Paul had a deep joy. He's chained to a Roman guard, and yet he still writes about joy, and he talks about it in these first Eight verses that I read to you. So, so my question today for us, and we're going to break it down for you this morning. How do I find joy and how do I maintain joy? How do I keep my joy when I'm being blasted by the life, by the blow dryer of hot air and by the faucet and the cold water and by being sucked through a vacuum cleaner? How do I maintain my joy? Four things I want to give you. And if you have your outlines, you can take them out and follow along with me today. Number one, remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Let's say that together. Remember what God has done. Let's look at verse number three again. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
Now, he, he opens up this, this uh, passage and he says, I thank my God. The, the word thank there is from a Greek word, eucharisto. Now, if you come from a higher liturgical church, you've probably heard the word eucharist. It's the word they use to describe the communion celebration, the communion time. And it really goes back to the word to give thanks. And so when we take communion, it is a Eucharist in the Greek language. It is a time of giving thanks. We thank God for his sacrifice. We thank God for the shed blood. We remember what he did for us. We thank God for the family of God. We thank the Lord that I have been adopted into his family. I have been changed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so we have a lot to thank God for. The Eucharist. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you, every time I think about the Philippian church and what God has done for you. Now, I will tell you, the Philippian church was not a perfect church. They had problems, and a couple of the problems he addresses right here in the book of Philippi. And so they had problems, and yet he still thanks God for that very imperfect church because he chooses to remember all the good things that God has done. You can come into church, You can look around and have a lot to grumble and gripe and complain about. It's not perfect, a little too cold in here, didn't like this song or that song, preacher preached too long, which is pretty standard around faith assembly. And uh, there's things that you can find to grumble about and complain about, or you can choose to look at all that God has done, the lives that are changed, people that are baptized, people that have been delivered, people that have been set free, lives that are growing and transformed by the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul chose to focus on on that I thank God for the Philippians for this church every time I remember you now to understand this passage fully and to understand the book of Philippians you have to really go back to Acts chapter 16 Acts chapter 16 gives you the account of the birth of the church of Philippi. And it starts out, and Paul doesn't know which way he is going to go. And he tries to go into this region, and the Holy Spirit says no. And he tries to go over here, and the Holy Spirit says no. And then he has a vision in the, in the nighttime hours, and it's a, it's a man saying, come on, over to Ma- come on over here. Come on over to see us. And it's a man in Macedonia, and the capital of that is Philippi. And so he is drawn to go to that man, that vision. And so he gets on a boat, and he has to Philippi because there are no there's such a small group of Jewish believers there is no synagogue in the city of Philippi and so he goes down by the river and down by the river he finds a Bible study of women who are gathered together uh, praying worshiping the Lord waiting on God a little prayer meeting and there he meets a lady by the name of Lydia Lydia is a very wealthy lady she is a seller of purple dye which is a very expensive fabric and uh, hard to get your hands on and so he meets her she accepts the Lord Jesus Christ her her family is saved, and she would become now the hostess to house the Apostle Paul while he is in Philippi. While he is in Philippi, there is a demon-possessed girl that would follow him around and begin to cry out about the Lord God. And so what does he do? He turns around and casts out the demon. The trouble is he bankrupts all the silver dealers because they're selling idols, and she's their, their main product line pusher and so uh, kind of begins to shut down business they get mad at the apostle Paul they stir up a riot in the city of, uh, city of Philippi and he is hauled off to jail before he goes to jail he is beaten with whips he's placed in a jail 
And at the midnight hour, he is singing and praising the Lord. And Paul and Silas, the Bible says, their hands are in stocks, their feet are in stocks. They are bent over their mouth. The blood's running out of their back. They're they're drooling out of their mouth. They are in so much pain and agony. And they say, what are we going to do in the midnight hour? And they begin to sing a song. And they sing a song of joy. And they sing a song of the grace of Almighty God. And all of a sudden, those prison bars begin to shake and the chains fall off. And Paul is set free. And a jailer there gives his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts to kill himself. He says, don't do it. We're all here. No one's escaped. Stop right now. And he drops his sword. He accepts the Lord. The same guy that beats him and puts those stripes in his back, he now takes and baptizes him and his entire family. And so what is Paul thankful for? He's thankful for Lydia. He's thankful for a Philippian jailer. He's thankful for that Bible study going on by the river. He's thankful for what God's doing. And and they become the nucleus of that church at Philippi that he writes back to the book of Philippians. Listen, we can choose to grumble and complain and get mad at what we don't like going on around us or, or we can remember what God has done. And God's a good God. And if God has saved you and set you free by his grace and given you a brand new life and done amazing things for you and in your church family, focus on that thing. Remember what God has done as you start to think about that. The joy all of a sudden arises in your heart and your life. Remember, remember, remember. You can look beyond the difficulties and the storms. Recapture all the wonderful things the Lord has done. Recapture the sweetness in life that God has done for us. Listen, if the Spirit of the Lord is not actively ruling in your heart, if you are not allowing a heart of thanksgiving to be manifest in you, you will focus on that which is wrong. And your mind will bring the bad report. Your mind brings all the hurts back up. Your mind brings up every wrong that's ever been done to you, and your mind rehearses that and blares it in your brain over and over again, and that's all you begin to hear, and that's all you know, and it will rob you of your joy. Some of you are listening to a negative report, and you carry that offense around, and it weighs you down, and you wonder why I have no joy. There are many who are not in church today because they were offended or wounded by someone else along the way or they heard a negative, bad report and they latched onto that and they're fishing and golfing this morning but they're so far from God and they have no joy. I found a quotation by Thomas Hurley. I want you to listen to this. Just think about it for just a second. Some people can find the manure pile in any meadow. One more time. Some people can find the manure pile in any meadow. Ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse your mind. Cleanse your heart. Put away the bitterness and remember the sweet. Remember, remember, remember. I thank my God every time I remember you. We have an amazing God. And that brought Paul joy as he thought about that. Philippian believers. The second thing is found in verse number four. Put others first. Put others first. Seems very simple. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
You know, I, th- I think so many times in, in life, in our experience, our prayers are often reactionary. We pray be- when we get in trouble. And so I don't pray until a trial comes or a test comes, and then I pray, and then when I pray, it's, oh, God, help me. And, it's, it, 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 and our prayers somehow become all about us. But Paul's prayers is, I, I, I pray for you. I, I, I pray for you often, and I pray for you with all kinds of joy. Every time I remember you, the focus of his prayer was the Philippian church. And he, he prayed for their spiritual growth. He prayed for their development. He prayed for the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Paul ever prays for himself in the New Testament, what does he pray? He says, I pray that you will give me an opportunity, an open door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was never about, can I have a, a big a house, a bigger car, more stuff. It was, I pray for all of you. I pray, God, give me a chance to share the gospel in a greater way that the cause may go forward. That was the focus of his prayers. And Paul prayed like that for all the churches. You read it, the Corinthians, you read the Thessalonians, you read the Ephesians, you read Colossians, you read all these books. He includes prayers right there in his letters that he prayed for those churches. Look at his prayer here. Jump down to verse number nine. And this is my prayer. So he's going to tell us how he prays for the Philippians. It's a good model for us to pray for others. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. What a great, great prayer. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise God, I pray. I believe if we prayed for others in the family of God and we prayed with others in the family of God, there's something about joining hands and praying together and in our small groups we pray together and we pray together from time to time at church and we, we, we pray for each other. And so if we would pray for others and pray together, 90% of church division and conflicts would cease. See, just stop. You can't, it's hard to gossip about somebody if you're praying for somebody. Pray for others. I, I, I pray for you, Philippians, that you'll grow in grace. That you'll, that you, and, and so I guess my question is, are we really putting other people first? Because as we put other people first, then we can have joy. Are we praying for others? And as we begin to pray for others, what happens is I rejoice as I see what God is doing in their lives and in the family of God, and it brings joy to my heart because what am I doing? I'm putting others first. And so Paul says, I remember you, and I pray for you. And then number three, look at verse number five. Verse number five, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, I pray with you with all joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. My third point is simply this. Remember, you're not alone. There's partners all around you. you are, there are partners in the gospel. I remember all my partners in the gospel. I, I can, as you look at this church, this early church in Philippi, it was a very uh, unique church, and it was not your typical uh, converted Jewish church. Most of the believers in Philippi are Gentiles. They are early, very early Gentile first century converts. And, and so you have a, quite a mixture of people who would make up this early church. You have a Philippian jailer who had been a very violent man. 
a very angry man, violent. He was at one point ready to take his own life. He was suicidal until Paul intervenes. You have a slave girl who had been demon-possessed. Now she's a part of the praise team. Can you imagine that? She's demon-possessed, and now she's on the platform, praising the Lord and glorifying God. You have a businesswoman who is helping to uh, carry the load at the church of Philippi, uh, a Jewish proselyte. When you traded in purple cloth, you, would, you could only get that from, through the, from Asia and in that area, and it would come through the trade routes and trade areas through the Roman Empire. And so she somehow gets her hands on that and becomes, gets the fabric, makes the purple cloth, and, uh, and sells that. So by worldly standards, Paul has nothing in common with these early believers, and these early believers have nothing in common with each other. But it's the fellowship of the gospel that brings them together. It doesn't matter if we are alike and like the same things and look the same way and have the same background. That is irrelevant. What unites us together is the fellowship of the gospel, our partnership together under the Lord Jesus Christ. And you probably would have no more diverse church than you had at the church of Philippi if they had a fellowship of the gospel. He says in in, in this verse, uh, look at it again, because of your partnership, That's what it says in the NIV. In the King James Version, it says, because of your fellowship. And you've heard the word fellowship. We use it a lot around here at Faith Assembly of God. The Greek word is the word koinia. So it's translated partnership in the NIV, fellowship in other translations. And the Greek word is koinia. Now, partnership in Paul's mind is even going beyond just coming together and have cake after church on Sunday. I like cake after church. I like cake anytime. But that's not what he's talking about. Not talking about their church socials, their church activities. Not talking about that. When he uses the word partnership, they were literally partners with him because they supported the Apostle Paul as he traveled throughout the Roman Empire. So the Philippians step up to the plate. They gave to met the Apostle Paul's needs so the gospel could continue to advance. How many were able to make it last Sunday for our missions convention? Oh, you know, raise your hand. Everybody will look around and say, who wasn't here? Okay, we don't want to do that. Don't want to create disturbance here. But, uh, but it was an amazing missions convention. Uh, Tommy Hodum, man, just did a great, great job. But when we gave missions pledges, when we gave of ourselves and we said, I'm going to give over and above my tithes to help take the gospel around the world, what we were doing is we were partnering with Tommy we were partnering with Troy Dowdy. We were partnering with uh, Joel Marbot. We were partnering with Lindy Johnson over in Nepal. We were partnering with missionaries all around the world. And so what we do is in a very real way, even though we can't go to Nepal, we can't go to the Philippines, we can't go to South Africa, we can't go to India, what we can do is when we give, we literally become a partner with them in advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting to know? Not everybody is going to be a missionary. Yes, you will where you work, but that's not transcultural. Not everybody will be able to go overseas and impact another culture. But what you can do is you partner, you give in a tangible way to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ out. And he says, I thank you for my partnership in the gospel. By the way, last week, 
Faith Assembly of God pledged 135000 in the next year to give to missions and, and to help partner in the gospel and get it out. The offering last week was around $18,000 that came in in the second offering for missions. Isn't that exciting? Give yourself a hand. You guys did awesome. The church did not just simply sit back and applaud what the Apostle Paul was doing. They partnered with him. He says, you are my partners. You share in this fellowship of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want, I, you know, this is pastor appreciation. I, I, I just, and I didn't say much early on because I knew where I, was, where I was going in my message, but I want to tell you, you guys have been amazing partners to me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the last 33 years, the way you have blessed uh, my wife and our family and all that you have done for us, and, and what I feel is, I feel there's a partnership here that goes deeper than just, hey, how you doing? And I, and I don't know everybody, and I don't know your stories, and I, I, I wish I could know all of them, and I wish I could remember everybody's name, and I don't. But I feel the partnership. And it's that partnership in prayer that means so very much. And I, and I really believe that's why God has been so good to us here at Faith Assembly of God is the many, many partners. It is such a blessing because you come along beside of us in the ministry and you share in that and you make this such a wonderful fellowship, koinonia. If you're feeling down, remember you're not alone. If you're depressed and discouraged, you're not by yourself. Don't pull back. Don't isolate yourself. Don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. Those, those pity parties are so, are, can be so devastating. I think sometimes the worst thing we do is when things go bad or wrong, we want to pull back and we isolate ourselves. But what that does is that amplifies the depression because we're by ourselves. And Paul says, you know what? I can rejoice. Even though I'm chained to a Roman guard, I remember you and I remember our partnership. We've got something going on here and there's a family and I know you're praying for me and I know you're behind me and whatever's going on in my life, there is a partnership going on. We are a part of an amazing family of grace. Nobody's perfect in the house, but the grace of God brings us together, makes us one. We're bound by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not a man-made work. It is a God building his church. Even now, we've got, I've got, I don't know, eight to ten intercessors in a prayer room praying for this service, praying for me as I bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, praying for you guys that the Holy Spirit will move and have his way. And they pray not only today but every day of this week, and they pray for, for me and for you. There's a fellowship that comes through serving together. Man, that's exciting. Well, you begin to serve together. You get on one of our teams. You get on the youth team or the children's team or you get in the ushers in the parking lot or you work with the sound team and all that. When you guys begin to serve together, there is a fellowship and a partnership that takes place because you are working together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have joy today and you don't know where to find it and you're so down and upset and all that, get involved in a ministry and reaching out to other people and as you partner with them, you, you share that common goal of the Lord Jesus Christ, your joy is full. Exciting to serve God. You're not alone. You're not alone. We see all that God is doing. We rejoice and we serve together. Look at verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains for defending the gospel and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace 
with me. We are sharing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God can testify how I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Listen, don't try to do the Christian life alone. Don't isolate yourself and go it alone. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other in the family of God. If you're not involved in a group, if you're not involved in community, if you're not involved in a serving ministry, if you're not involved somewhere, get involved with a fellowship that, that gets you out of yourself and you begin to focus on others and then God brings the joy back. It's exciting to be a part of a family. Number four, realize that God is doing his work. Realize that God is doing his work. And look at verse six. This is so powerful. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And when you realize what God is doing, it will bring joy back into your heart. Realize that God is doing his work. It's exciting to be involved in a church where lives are being changed and transformed, where marriages are being restored. We had a marriage conference last uh, Friday night. I know some of you were here. Not all of you can make it, but, but these altars were full of God doing a work and healing marriages and couples praying together who hadn't prayed together in years. And now they're down here crying and seeking God. and waiting on the Lord. I want to tell you, it's exciting to see what God is doing. Mm, Realize that God is doing his work, men and women finding freedom, homes being restored and strengthened by the power of God. Be confident of this. The word confident, I am confident that God will bring his work to completion. That means I am absolutely convinced. Look at the work that God has done. God works for us when Jesus Christ died and gave his life on the cross for us. God worked in us when we first believed and asked Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and lives. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us, enabling us to become more like Jesus Christ every single day. God's working, God's working, God's working. And when I see God's work, and I know that God is going to bring it to completion, uh, I rejoice in the Lord. Because God's working. God's working. When God starts a project, he will complete it. And when you get discouraged, remember God has not given up on you. He is not finished. He is not done yet. And when you stumble and fall, and when you look at yourself, and you feel unfinished, and you feel incomplete, incomplete, and you feel distressed by our failures, remember, be absolutely convinced Paul says, I am absolutely convinced that God will finish the job. God will finish his work. He will bring it to completion. He's not going to leave you hanging out there. Hallelujah. Absolutely convinced of every promise and provision in God's word. He is not finished with me yet. He says, until the day of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And so he is still working. He keeps working. He works in our lives. He works in me. He works in you. works in all of us. He works in us until Jesus Christ comes again. And then the Bible says in 1 John, and then we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Right now his Holy Spirit's working in us, changing us. Growing us, making us more like Jesus. Look at verse number 12. Talk about the work that God's doing through the Apostle Paul. 
I want to read it to you. Look at this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know something. I want to clear up any misconceptions there might be. That what has gone on in my life, what is happening to me right now, and right now he is chained in the city of Rome to a Roman guard. He is on house arrest. His freedoms have been taken away. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me that seems really, really bad has served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's worth it. It's worth it. Paul could have felt sorry for himself. (laughs) I don't deserve this, Lord. I just worked so hard for you. I traveled everywhere. I don't deserve this. Life's not fair. I don't deserve these chains. God, why are you taking me out of circulation? So many churches to reach, so much to do for the kingdom of God. And here I am, chained to a Roman guard. But I will tell you, Paul had, God had a better plan for the apostle Paul. And even though it may not look like a lot was going on, God was working out his plan. And what seemed like a terrible setback was fulfilling that plan. And in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your prison, I want to tell you, God has a plan. He is always working in you and through you. The most issue, the most critical issue in the Apostle Paul's life was the gospel. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And what Paul's doing is, is he's chained to these Roman guards and they're switching duties and they're coming in and out of there and they're watching the morning, noon, or night. They're all hearing the gospel. And Roman soldiers are getting saved. The Praetorian Guard is getting saved. He would later write to the church at Rome. He says, I greet all the guards and soldiers and Gentiles uh, in, 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 uh, in Caesar's household. Where did they get saved? When Paul was in jail, leading them one by one to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Philippians, don't feel sorry for me. Don't cry for me. This is all a part of God's working his plan. And what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And in the midst of your trial and in the midst of your test, when when you're sucked in and the hot air blow dryer hits you and you're under that faucet and and the rain's coming down all around you, I want to tell you, God always has a bigger plan. And if you will understand that God is still working in you, it will bring that joy. God, whatever it is, I'm here. Use me in this situation. Paul would later say, and listen, listen, I want to tell you something. God, God's given me a message for next Sunday morning to live as Christ. That is probably one of the most profound statements in all the word of God, and we're going to break that down next Sunday morning because he's going to go on to say, for me to live as Christ. His reason for living was Jesus Christ. That's what motivated him. That's what moved him and drove him. In Acts 20 and verse 24, he says, he, 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 they tell him, the prophets come along and say, if you go to Jerusalem, if you share the gospel, if you go there, you're going to be arrested. They took straps out. They said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be chained up. And uh, we advise you, Paul, don't go. We can see right now chains are coming. 
uh, jail's coming, all that's ahead of you. And Paul makes this statement, but none of these things move me. This doesn't move me. What moves you? What motivates you? Paul would say, my job doesn't move me. My comfort doesn't move me. My ambition doesn't move me. Wealth doesn't move me. The only thing that moves me is the Lord Jesus Christ, for to live is Christ, and the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his passion. That was his heartbeat. Early missionaries, when they would go to the mission fields in the 1800s, they would board ships. And they would board these ships and they would go to India and China and and Africa and wherever they would go, they would pack their things in coffins because they realized that they would never go back home and they would never see their family again. And they packed all their earthly belongings, everything they had, in a coffin. They, They took it over there because the coffin would be there for when they died in that country, they gave their life for the gospel. There, there are those who were mission, early, early missionaries who were so passionate about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they sold themselves into slavery in America so they could bring the gospel to the slaves. What moves you today? What motivates us? What, what drives us? What, what pushes, what, what moves us today? What is your passion and, and here's the deal, whatever motivates you and whatever moves you, that is what is gonna bring your happiness and your joy. Now listen to me, if it's friends that move you, you will rejoice only as long as your friendships are good. You lose a friend, a relationship breaks down, there goes my joy, because that's what moves me. If it's your business that moves you, you will only joy and rejoice and be happy when your business is growing. But when it slows down and it's going nowhere and you're losing money, you lose your joy. But if it's Christ that moves you, if for me to live is Christ, then your joy will always be in the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whatever happens in my life doesn't matter just so long as the gospel is moving forward. Look at verse number 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The word advance is a military term. It it, it pictures a military army who is advancing even in the midst of oncoming fire. And so bullets are flying around your head, bombs are blowing up everywhere, but the army keeps moving forward. That's the word he uses right there. What has happened to me, the chains, the prison, the, the, the persecution, the shipwreck, the beatings, everything else has done one thing. It has still served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is moving forward. Mm. what moves you today? You may feel you can't preach, can't be a missionary, not called to go to another country. You may feel like, Pastor, I'm stuck at my job. I am chained to my factory. I'm chained to my work. I am chained to that. I want to tell you, even in your chains, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So at your factory, at your work, at your job, those locations where you feel like so you are so limited because of your chains, because of your situation, because of where you're at, use that to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Students, high school students, you feel like you're chained to your desk every day. You got to go to school uh, five days a week. Listen, while you're chained to your desk in your high school, use that to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. You may be a homemaker. You may have a bunch of small kids running around your house and you feel like you are chained to your house. Listen, I want to tell you, use that opportunity to advance the gospel with your kids and all the other mothers who are struggling in your neighborhood. Uh, Listen, you may feel like you're chained to your sick bed wherever you're at in a hospital room. Nurses are coming and going and you feel like I'm chained to this bed because my body is sick. Listen, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And so if I'm in a nursing home, if I'm in a hospital, hospital, if I'm on my bed of affliction, I will do all about advancing the gospel. What is it that moves us? The amazing thing is our faith shines brightest against the backdrop of darkness. And so when there is a trial and a test going on in my life and I can still rejoice, I can still sing in the rain, That's when my faith actually shines the brightest and the gospel moves forward. When you sing in the rain, people take notice. Right? Raining all around you. Storm, lightning, everything else. But when you can walk down the street and say, I'm singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. That's all I know of that silly song. And, and so when you're, when you're singing in the rain, people will walk by. They'll say, what's wrong with him? He's nuts. He's crazy. I tell you what, he's found a joy worth living for because he's discovered the secret of life. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Listen to the rest of this, verses 13 and 14. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It it impacts the guards because they're hearing the gospel. It strengthened the church because they said, you know what? If the apostle Paul can be a witness with chains on, we can witness up and down our streets in Philippi. Hallelujah. Suffering will do one of two things. It'll make you bitter and painful and angry, or it will draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will cause you to press in and know him. And Paul's joy was always in Christ and the advance of the gospel. Does your joy go up and down based on circumstances, based on what the weather's doing? When it's raining, you're down and upset and frowning, or and when the sun's shining, oh, it's a good day today, finally. If that's your focus, you are doomed to whatever life deals you. And Satan will come along and he will try to knock every prop out from underneath your feet because he knows that's the source of your joy. But if your joy is tied to live as Christ, every trial, every test becomes a new opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you begin to understand what he wrote in Romans, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Listen. If you're looking for joy today, remember what Christ has done. 
Start thinking about all that God has done in your life. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Number two, put others first. Don't think of yourself. Don't be so myopic that you're looking at you all the time. Think about others all around you. Remember that you're not alone, that there is a partnership. There is a fellowship here of the body of Christ. And I got brothers and sisters who will help me through any situation and realize that God is always doing a greater work and he's going to complete it. He's going to bring it to pass. It will happen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.